Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors in over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. Hi, it's Hugh Hewitt. Welcome to the interview with Hugh Hewitt, sponsored by andrewandtodd.com. Andrew and Todd are with Sierra Pacific Mortgage. They help you with all your real estate lending needs. If you're refinancing your home, if you're buying a new home, if you're a senior who wants a reverse mortgage, if you're a veteran who doesn't want to put any money down, whatever it is, if you're in the private real estate market for yourself, and maybe you want an investment property, try andrewandtodd.com or call 888-888-1172. Now on to the interview with Hugh Hewitt. From what, what I have seen of our Russian friends and allies during the war, I am convinced that there is nothing they admire so much as strength, and there is nothing for which they have less respect than for weakness, especially military weakness. Welcome back, America. I am Hugh Hewitt. That is Winston Churchill delivering his famed Iron Curtain speech in Fulton, Missouri in 1946. I was reminded of it as I listened over the last 10 days to Andrew Roberts' magnificent biography of Winston Churchill, Churchill Walking with Destiny. I had not listened to it before. I had not read it because I've read almost everything about Churchill that comes out. But then I picked it up because of Russia and Ukraine. And wow, what a revelation. Andrew Roberts joins me from Great Britain this morning. Andrew, welcome back. It's great to have you. Thank you for joining me. Thank you very much indeed. It's great to be on the show again. Uh, There are five Russias, Andrew, at least that you deal with. There's the Romanov Russia, the Lenin Russia, the Stalin Russia, the post-Stalin Russia, and now the post-Gorbachev Russia. Churchill dealt with four of them. What did he make of Russia? What do you think from your deep researches into Napoleon in Russia and Churchill in Russia? What should we think about Russia right now? Well, famously, he um, described Russia as a riddle inside an enigma inside a mystery. So um, there isn't a direct and easy answer to that. He very much put uh, British national interest first when dealing with Russia. So he was pro-Russia up until 1914, anti-Russia after 1917, pro-Russia again um, when Hitler invaded in 1941, anti-Russia when uh, in that speech that you just gave, the Iron Curtain speech in March 1946, and then pro-Russia again, uh, or at least not pro-Russia, but pro-settlement with Russia after the uh, Soviets exploded their nuclear weapon in 1949. So he changed his stance, but actually, if you look at it carefully, his stance was always to put British interests first. You know, I just recently concluded Walking with Destiny, and you remind me of what I learned from the book again, is that after his election as prime minister in the 50s, his really the only time he was elected to become the PM, he led the Conservative Party, he was actually, he wanted another summit. He wanted to get Ike or Truman before him over to sit down with the heirs to Stalin, because he thought you could actually deal with the Russians, correct? Well, he did after they exploded their, their device in the April of 1949. That was the point at which he recognized that you had to sit down with them because they had the capacity to destroy the world. And uh, so it wasn't out of any kind of naive belief in, in uh, or love of diplomacy, jaw uh, jaw as he called it. It was his worry about the effects of, of war war. 
Let us take the, the four Russias that Churchill dealt with and start with the Romanov Russia. He reminded people late in the book that he had actually served under Queen Victoria, and now he's going to serve under another queen. If I, if I can do an aside, isn't it remarkable to see your queen walk down the aisle of Westminster Abbey, the same queen who stood with, with Churchill on the balcony with King George after V.E.? I'm just amazed by that woman. It, it, it never, ever fails to give a, uh, a tingle down my spine when I, when I see her. Never does. She, she, through my, so before Churchill became Churchill, he was a subaltern in the Fourth Hussars. So he knows the Romanovs. He knows, what did he make of the Russian dynasty in the days before the revolution? Well, he was opposed to uh, it up until 1914 because of the way it treated Jews, the way it treated the Tsarist um, uh, treatment of its uh, essentially almost serf population was something that shocked uh, Churchill as a, as a, he was a liberal MP, of course, at the time that the First World War broke out. But when he recognized from 1914 um, onwards until the revolution that actually Russia was an ally, extremely important ally in the war against Germany, uh, he piped down about all of the human rights abuses and he started to praise the Russian fighting man. But then, of course, came 1917, and, uh, and especially after March 1918, when the Russians um, got out of the First World War, uh, he, um, he turned very, very virulently against communism, which he always hated all his life. Now, he also, uh, he denounces them repeatedly during the years that you described so accurately in Walking with Destiny as a menace, but not the menace that Hitler was. When... Stalin and Hitler do their deal with the devil, the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact. What does he say then? Well, he denounces it, but the first thing he does is he was on holiday at the time and he got back home because he recognized that war was going to break out within days. And, uh, of course, he was right. And so uh, the, um, the denunciation was almost sort of unnecessary. It was so obvious that these two terrible and evil regimes coming together could only mean one thing, and that was the... Uh, the extermination of Poland and, and world war. And in fact, he later learns that Stalin ordered the massacre of what, 14,000 Polish officers and, and uh, uh, military men in the forest? Uh, Katyn, yes. And it was definitely Stalin who did it. Uh, they didn't have the proof of that until 1943 when the Nazis found the uh, graves and opened them up. And uh, it became very clear especially to the British representative, Owen O'Malley, uh, not least because of the dates of the newspapers found in the pockets of many of the dead people, that this had happened by, uh, under Stalin rather than under Hitler. Now, this is one of the reasons why I want people to read Walking with Destiny. They have to understand the cruelty with which the military in Russia can and will and has operated. Has anyone brought up Katyn? I mean, the Ukrainians know about this, obviously. Uh, yes, no, absolutely. The, uh, the Katyn massacre is something that the Poles will never forget, obviously. Um, but, uh, but you're right about the, uh, about the viciousness. And in fact, we're also hearing in Ukraine at the moment that uh, Russian soldiers who, um, who either um, desert or in some way are seen to have lack moral fiber, i.e. they're not in the front line, um, are getting some pretty peremptory uh, punishments. Um, even today. So uh, it's not quite like Stalingrad, where they actually shot 14,000, i.e. an entire division of people for, um, for cowardice. Hey, wow. 
so, so we know what the Russian military has a history of being capable of. We see the stories of atrocities coming out. Now let's talk about Putin and Stalin. When you finish your researches, obviously you have a good impression of Stalin. What is, what is the essential elements that Stalin and Putin share in common, Andrew? Um, well, I think that uh, I think that there's an element of, of paranoia to both of them. Certainly, Stalin. Um, I, the uh, there is a sense that um, uh, that Russia can do no wrong. You know, they they are uh, extreme nationalists in that sense. Um, the difference seems to be that Stalin started after June 1941, at least, to listen to his generals and not to overrule them. Uh, very, very great um, Russian marshals like Zhukov and Rokozovsky and Konyev and others, he recognized were better soldiers than he'd ever be. Whereas Putin um, doesn't seem to have been told the truth by some of his generals, um, or at least the surviving ones, <laughs> um, about what's actually going on in, in Ukraine, whereas Stalin was at least always told the truth by his generals. Well, you see, that, that is the key thing right now, is that, is that whether or not Putin knows what's going on, he's losing, and he's losing badly. When Stalin first sits down with Churchill, where is that? Is that Tehran, or had, Stalin gone, uh, had Churchill gone to Moscow before that? Uh, Churchill went to Moscow before that in the August of 1942. All right, and so that's when they tell him everything is bugged, and he knows that. What does his... American officials have to be nimble with Putin, and, and I don't say forgiving, just nimble. What did Churchill do vis-a-vis -vis Joe Stalin after they became on the same side? Well, he told him straight to his face that he wasn't going to have a second front in Europe until such time as they had air superiority and command of the ocean, so uh, they would be able to get a large enough force across the channel uh, that wouldn't be then forced back and, uh, and defeated. And this was, of course, uh, turned Stalin into a furious sort of ball of anger <laughs> and uh, he, he said that the, that was because the British uh, army were cowards and, um, and only the Russians had any, uh, any courage in, in the war and so on and it was an extremely unpleasant uh, meeting in August 1942 but he did look Stalin in the eye and, and tell him you know, uh, that that was going to happen. He also of course offered him and, um, and backed up his offer huge amounts of support um, in terms of tanks and aircraft and so on that were delivered via the Arctic convoys. And he never failed to remind the English people in the West that the Russian soldier was suffering much more mightily than the Allied soldier. I think I remember from walking with Destiny, he would remind the House repeatedly that they were at 145 divisions and we had 14 in Italy. Am I right about that? I, I listened to the book. I didn't write down notes. That's, no, that's exactly it. And I think it's very important in all of this to, to recognize the limits, obviously, of uh, historical analogy here, because although the uh, Russians are at present losing about 350 men a day killed, uh, in the Second World War, the, Russian, the Red Army lost 6,000 men a day killed, right from, as an average, from the moment of Hitler's invasion to the fall of Berlin. 6,000 a day. That's so stunning. Does it, do you think that that translates into a certain resilience in the Russian mentality to absorb the sort of punishment and hatred that they're getting on the world stage right now? I did think that until fairly recently when I saw the effect that the, um, 
that the mothers, the the mothers, uh, bereaved mothers of um, Russian soldiers are having on ordinary um, Russians today. They seem to be able to. Uh, maybe it's something to do with um, with different, you know, social media or whatever. But they're getting through to the Russian people, the Russian psyche, I think, in a way that that certainly was not the case, of course, um, in Stalin's time. Well, what they called the Great Patriotic War. There wasn't exactly social media on which to spread this stuff. Uh, there no, is and, now. And everything was completely totalitarian. Uh, I mean, it was worse than uh, than Putin when it came to totalitarian control of every form of, of uh, media. And so when we come back from break, we're going to talk with him about whether or not President Biden is up to what Churchill did in Tehran and then subsequently in Yalta, which was to confront a Stalin and try and deal with him with naughty documents. And I think there's another Moscow meeting in there as well. But uh, before I go there, Andrew, a quick update. How is Disraeli going? Um, I put him on hold, um, actually. I've got, a, I've got another, uh, another project that I'll tell you about at some stage, I'm sure. Oh, no. I'm waiting for Disraeli, <laughs> no, you're gonna, No, you're going to love this one. You're going to love this one as well. Uh, I'm, uh, okay, uh, I'm, I'm sure. I'm, I, <laughs> I haven't signed it yet, so I, I don't want to jinx it. Don't jinx it. Uh, I hope it's about Nixon if it's not going to be about the Israeli, because those are the two people I want to see Andrew Roberts go to work on. Has have people picked up that walking with destiny right now? Have you noticed an uptick in people getting a hold of the book? Um, actually, funny enough, since uh, since Zelensky um, paraphrased Churchill with his "We shall fight in the forests, we shall fight in the streets" um, speech, there has been an increase in uh, in sales of my book. Yes, it's it's been interesting over the last I, month. I really think people need to go to understand how to deal with Putin. And when we come back and we talk about Yalta, I just don't know if President Biden has the capacity. You know, there's a lot about Churchill aging in this, Andrew, and we've got a minute to the break. Do you keep thinking about that, that the aging of the prime minister uh, that you cover in Walking with Destiny does have some reflection in the aging of President Biden? Well, I think it does, yes. And the, the, the huge difference is, of course, that when uh, Churchill started aging, which was in his uh, 70s, he, um, it, Britain was at peace, and it was in the 1950s, and we had the, you know, the um, support of um, America and so on. It was, uh, it was a little bit more nerve-wracking if you have a president who isn't up to the job in, in wartime, which is essentially what yeah. it is. Uh, an older Churchill had Truman and Ike. Uh, Joe Biden has Boris. We'll talk about that when we come back. British historian Andrew Roberts is my guest. If you have not yet read or listened to Walking with Destiny, it will change everything you think about what we're doing right now with Russia, and you ought to listen to it. I'll be right back with Andrew Roberts. Stay tuned, America. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt. Andrew Roberts is my guest, the author of many magnificent books, including The Last King of America and Napoleon, and the one I'm talking about right now, Churchill, Walking with Destiny, superbly read by Stephen Thorne. I would recommend everyone get the audio book, and you can get it for free, by the way, at audible.com if you sign up for it. Uh, Andrew Roberts, going to Yalta, the president goes with uh, uh, Churchill to Yalta, and Elger hisses in the entourage, so we don't really know what's going on there, but at Yalta, they tell... Stalin about the atomic bomb, and he pretends not to know. Am I right in recollecting that? That's right, yes. He knew perfectly well what the Manhattan Project had been doing for the previous four, four and a half years, but he, uh, because of his uh, spies, obviously, 
but, uh, but he had to show shock and surprise when uh, he was told by, uh, by the Western leaders, yes. So when Churchill says, I like that man, it's not like, you know, when you listen to a book, you hear things when they're said twice. He said about FDR twice, I love that man, once at his grave in Hyde Park and once, I think, in Egypt. But uh, he says, I like Stalin. What does he mean? And what, do we, what ought you to advise, if you could, Joe Biden, about Putin based upon what we know about Russian leaders? Well, as somebody who admires Churchill, of course, I, I uh, feel that that is a low point in, uh, in Churchill's life when he said, I like that man. Um, it was after a tremendously drunken dinner at the uh, Kremlin where they polished off God knows how many bottles of vodka together. And uh, they, you remember earlier I told you about how Stalin had accused the British Army of being cowards. Well, the way in which they made friends again was essentially over eating and drinking in uh, Stalin's um, uh, flat in the uh, Kremlin. And, uh, and it was after that that uh, Churchill said, I like that man. How he could possibly have liked somebody who he knew perfectly well, as well as the Katyn massacre, had been responsible for what he called the budget of death um, when he signed away the death warrants of, uh, of hundreds of thousands of people. It's hard to uh, fathom it really is. I brief it up because it's an admission never, never trust a Russian czar. And Putin is nothing to me except a Russian czar or a Russian commissar or a Russian whatever. Uh, Andrew, you've studied Russia from Napoleon and from China. What are your thoughts on this war? And what are your thoughts on Boris Johnson's leadership of the United Kingdom right now, where he seems to be leading the West rather than President Biden? Um, well, I'm glad that you think so. I rather think that, too. Uh, I think that Boris has been superb. He's been early which is important. You know, he right away recognized the, uh, the issues at stake. He's been tough. He's, uh, we've, we've sent huge numbers of, uh, of um, anti-tank weaponry in particular, but also anti-helicopter um, uh, weaponry. And he's been consistent. And he's also made a few speeches that actually really do go to the nub of the matter. So, um, so Boris, who was, of course, in terrible, terrible political trouble over party-going in uh, number 10 before this all happened is now uh, really back on on form it seems to me if my guys can tee up the key thing i took away from walking with destiny is study the fulton speech especially this line if any american is driving into work today in the capital this is the line can you play it for me adam cut from the fulton speech that we began the interview with uh we can't find it from what what i have seen of our russian friends and allies during the war, I am convinced that there is nothing they admire so much as strength, and there is nothing for which they have less respect than for weakness, especially military weakness. Andrew Roberts, you think that is still the case? I certainly do, actually, and we know it from the Russians themselves. Uh, Lenin himself said that uh, when the enemy prods with a bayonet, when they, uh, when they find mush, they'll go on, when they find steel, they'll stop. And so uh, it really is um, the case with, with the Russians that, uh, that they admire nothing so much as military strength. Um, but we're not really showing them uh, enough in the West at the moment, in my view. I think that we missed a great opportunity with regard to those 28 MiG-29s. Uh, when one looks historically at the number of times that the Russians have, uh, certainly in Korea and Vietnam, have delivered uh, uh, important weaponry to uh, America's enemies, there was very little chance of any kind of a nuclear extreme back to them.
No, because they respect strength. And, and we did it with the Mujahideen. I mean, it, it's just befuddling to me, Andrew. Have you written yet about Russia and Ukraine? Um, a few, uh, a few small things, but um, uh, nothing significantly. I, I, as you know, I think um, I was in uh, Ukraine some two weeks ago um, to uh, went over the border uh, for quite a uh, uh, what was a rather emotionally moving um, time, really, with uh, with the poor people who I saw in the. Um, on the other side of the border. I did not know that, Andrew, and I salute you for doing that. I wish everyone would read Walking with Destiny. They would have a better grip on my concern about President Biden as he ages and about my concern with Putin and what he respects, which is strength. Andrew Roberts, author of your Churchill Walking with Destiny. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Andrew. Don't go anywhere. Bye-bye. Don't go anywhere, America. I'll be back tomorrow. Thank you, Dash. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, uh, Harley and Ben. If you want to hear more of Dash, you've got to go sign up for The Universe, universe universe.com. The best radio show you've never heard is only available in The Universe every afternoon at 8 p.m. in the East, 5 in the West. The After Show with Dash Patterson. Don't go anywhere, America. I'll be back tomorrow on the next Hugh Hewitt Show. That concludes today's episode of The Interview with Hugh Hewitt. Thank you for listening. Make sure you come back and check out all the other podcasts on the Salem Podcast Network. And remember to thank our sponsors, andrewandtodd.com. If you believe in long-form interviews like I do, then do your real estate transactions with Andrew Del Rey and Todd Avakian. I've known both men for a long time. Andrewandtodd.com. Go there, answer a couple of questions. They'll tell you what's best to do with your house or call them at 888 You'll be glad you did and you'll be glad that you listened to the next episode of The Interview. We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on local now, channel 525.